welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. And this season, the year is 1991, Fun in the Sun. And I'm here with my two ultimate Huns, Mike and Ryan. How you doing, honeys? Hun is short for honey or short for Attila the? No, not like the, what, barbarians? What were the Huns? I mean... Germanic... To other people, they were barbarians, but I think I guess they would think of themselves as very civilized. (laughs) We just want to live where you're living, right? I I, I think that Ryan the Hun should be my name, and uh, Mike the Little Honey should be Mike's name. Ooh, I love Mike the Little Honey. Mike the Little Honey. Mike the Little Honey. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be adding that in after after every Mike, unless I forget right away, which I'm doing now. The thing I can't forget (laughs) is that the movie we're talking about today is Fortune Thing! Fortune Thing! That's right. It's a Coen Brothers movie, and producer Dave just pulled me aside and said, this is the first Coen Brothers movie we've ever done. That's unbelievable. That means wow. that we have been definitely avoiding years the with years Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. yeah, because we they, uh, any movie that they made in any given year would be in our bracket. Yeah. That's and wild. Ryan, you know what? I'm gonna... Ryan give you a point for saying that because everybody should know that this is not just a friendly conversation between friends. This is also a game show and I will be awarding points for cogent analysis points. Well made. Anytime I have a deep belly laugh, some insults towards me will get points. Some compliments towards me will get points. Weirdly, there are compliments and insults towards me that will have the opposite effect. And it's going to be so hard to figure out what's going on. (laughs) But believe me internally to me, very sound logic to the entire thing. I do also want to point out that uh, Coen Brothers are on my director's team, which means that oh, yeah. uh, you guys were legal. It was legal for you guys to watch this movie, but not future movies. Right. right. Like how, the way neither one of you saw Dune. Correct. Oh, that's Denis Villeneuve and Greg. He, that he's on your director's he's on my team. team. Yeah. So you couldn't have seen Dune. And how none of us saw Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho. We just right. didn't watch. I, I didn't out of solidarity with you guys. <laughs> you know what? Mike. You little honey. That's uh, <laughs> that's amazing. But to return to uh, the Coen Brothers, or let's put the Coen Brothers aside for a second. Even beyond that, Barton Fink. So this is our first Coen Brothers movie, and it's Barton Fink. Do you have any history with Barton Fink? Do you have any feelings about Barton Fink? Were you a little shaver watching Barton Fink in the theaters as, as a small child, anybody? Oh, I remember being... Uh, well, I grew up in a small town in Italy, mm-hmm. uh, and I had to run the Cinema Paradiso, so I had to turn on the projector when Barton Fink was released. Of course. And my family would cheer me. All I did was turn on the projector, but they would be like, uh, oh my goodness, my Italian baby. And I'd be like, you could just say baby, guys. We're all Italian. <laughs> this is so weird. Um, but Excuse so, my poor Italian manners. You're right. <laughs> so deep, deep history for me. But um, this has always been the movie to me of uh oh you don't like the coen brothers is this why yeah did you accidentally Mm. watch just this movie is this the movie that you see in all of their other movies like are you watching oh brother which is basically like a sort of live action looney tune yeah and just (laughs) seeing barton fink this is why people don't like the coen brothers no country is one like in my top 10 favorite movies of all time uh man if you only look at it from one angle it's hard to watch and you might just be watching barton fink you think there's uh a lot of connective tissue between uh no country and barton fink no what i'm saying is that their uh reputation which i don't think is Mm. widespread but is there of being 
almost hateful of humanity. Yeah. I would say like, that there's a, a nihilism that runs through both movies that is that like definitely there's a resonance between the two for sure. This might be the good job, guy. Yeah, this thanks. might be the movie that uh, is just that. Just this nihilism. Just nihilism. <laughs> just the darkness. Mike, do you have any history with this, or have you? Did you miss it before this? Did you? This, did you grow up in a little Italian village that I, had one did, cinema called? No, Cinema I'm Paradiso? real Italian, which means I'm from one of the East Coast cities uh, where the real Italians live, where Pat's and Gino's fight over who invented cheesesteaks, not your fucking little city bullshit. By East Coast, do you mean Sicily? Sicily, the East Coast <laughs> is Sicily. No, he means Virginia Beach, Philly, Sicily. Uh, and yeah, this is one of those ones where it's like, I've known the poster my whole life yeah. and always been like, so it's about a nerd? Because it doesn't even, <laughs> just the poster doesn't even let you know it's about a writer. If you could, like, uh, make the noise that Barton Fink makes in the poster. Uh, yeah. I won that one. And uh, I knew the kids chanted Barton Fink and Bart didn't go to see the movie. Barton and. Fink! <laughs> And I know if if you're trying to do real research and watch everything connected, the episode of Bart the Fink is not that episode. What? Bart the Fink is in season seven. That episode is in season four. They are very different. Uh, people think that uh, The Simpsons made many references about many different things, but they made many references about Bart three things. <laughs> Bart and Fink's right. all the way down. Well, I can't wait to just get into this movie and start talking about it. And that's what we're going to do right after this break. Barton Fink is a young, successful playwright on Broadway before he is lowered slash kind of coerced into going to Hollywood. And the city of dreams quickly becomes the city of nightmares as Barton is plagued by writer's block, manic Hollywood execs, a pushy but nice-seeming Dan Connor from the hit show The Connors, and what I assume is just one very effective mosquito? Tasked with writing a wrestling picture, Barton can't seem to connect to the content even though he purports to love the common man and enlist the help of Fraser's dad. After some tossed salad and scrambled eggs, Fink fucks Fraser's dad, wife. <laughs> uh, maybe he doesn't. That, that part's not clear. What is clear is that she gets killed as hell somehow. And on top of everything else, now Barton's being stalked by the police. It all ends much as you'd expect with the weird neighbor gunning people down while screaming, look upon me as the world bursts into flames. This movie really looks ahead to our own time. Huh, everyone? Gentlemen, I ask you this. Was this hell the whole time? Is hell other people? Do we do we make our own hell? Hell? <laughs> okay. Hell yeah. For for everyone who is uh, uh, at home, not in the studio audience, uh, when Greg reads the intro, Mike and I have to act it out, and <laughs> we were running all over the stage. Just Good then. prop work. Good yeah. prop work. We did Mike. a lot of things right Mike. there. You guys both get a point for your yeah. hard work. I'm sweating like a dying Dan Connor over here. Now, I feel like... Like a Dan Connor in church. I feel like we ask this a surprising amount of times about movies. But is this entire movie... Like, is he in hell? Is, is he being... Is he literally supposed is to be in hell? Is he being punked? I think, <laughs> I, think, I think it is hell. Like, the, 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 the walls literally oozing and peeling away. The mosquitoes, like, the, the minor issues... At first, it's like, oh, is he only seeing the bad in L.A. because he never wanted to be there? But then by the end, when the his neighbor, who is his only friend, is also a serial killer, My. is flames are almost coming out of him to light the hotel on fire, but yeah, that guy's acting very... <laughs> flames! That guy's <laughs> acting so calm. Even Barton is. It's like, oh, either adaptation style, this has become the movie he's been writing, 
or it was hell the whole time and he's realizing it so he's calmed down. I I, I think the adaptation is a uh, a adept comparison. I do think that. But I think it's not because he's in hell. I just think that writing is hell. I think that people are so confused. Pe- so many people think that if, you, if you're a writer, that's an amazing talent that you have because you get to fucking sit on a beach. You get and, the life of the mind. And yeah, <laughs> just right? only think that quietly and never have it screamed directly <laughs> at you. And then just type away on your little fucking typewriter, which is, did you see the logo on the typewriter? No. The brand? It's called Underworld. Oh, oh shit. Uh, but no, it's not that he's in hell. It's just that writing is hell. I, and this is the most that any movie, even adaptation, a movie that I love and I think has is like the best treatise on writing of all time mm-hmm. that this is even better that this like this is what it's like to be a writer is it's not he has not entered hell or he's purgatory. making it it's it's yeah like this is what it's like to write something with a gun to your head at, okay but at the same time i know that like it's it's that the film uses metaphor visual as well but like when the wallpaper peels off the wall, it really seems like there's like flesh underneath it. And no matter how the sound, m- yeah, God damn, yeah. did you guys have and loud sound when you watch this? No. It's disgusting. Oh no, yeah, listen. I had headphones on. Yeah, so it was and, all up in me. And visually, and this has to be on purpose. It's very gross. Where he's because the first time you really notice it, he's listening to his neighbors fuck, and the yes. white cummy glue oh, is dripping down the walls. Oh god! And that's one of the first signs you're like, this might not be real. Like this might be, you an know, unrealistic what, movie. But it's not. There's not the thing of like on the way to Hollywood from New York. There was a train wreck, and he survived, right. but he didn't. No. You know, there's not that thing. It's yeah. just that he's entering his own, uh, like a hell of his own making, which is why this movie gets so many comparisons to The Shining. And I think this movie does what it's like to be a writer so much better than The Shining. Of just like I am, this right. is so fucked up that they would just say, "Oh, sit down and type out your shit." Just on this typewriter. Make up a story about people wrestling. Go ahead wrestling. and do What it. other questions do you have? Though I will say, maybe his fault for because they're like, we bought it off of the New Yorker. Ask to read the fucking story from the New Yorker, bro, and then go from there. Yes. Or oh watch, my gosh. Or watch a wrestling picture that is not the dailies. Because the, the, the dailies are going to be that's more not hellish. At all. But see, that's when, honestly, that this is why I think the movie is, is, is walking this line very effectively. But that's the kind of stuff that makes me think he's literally supposed to be in hell. I mean, I don't think he died between New York and L.A. because I think we only see him in hell. We don't know why he's in hell. We don't know what he did to deserve it, although we get maybe clues along the way. But it, it seems like everything is pushed so far that it, there needs to be a supernatural explanation. Mm-hmm. Like, why, when when John Goodman, the serial killer, Munt, why, when he comes back, the flames follow him? Like, they, it's, yeah. it, it, that, is that just visual metaphor, or is it like, and, is that supposed to be happening? Even before the, 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 co- the elevator goes off, they're in a fairly busy hotel, and the cops just know it's Munt and start shooting before they hear. <laughs> But we see mean, anything like what do you mean fairly busy hotel like we really only see one guest and one employee that, i guess it's I, true and I we hear other a, guests i think that's a clue for it actually literally being hell though because you see evidence of other people but he besides him and john goodman he mm-hmm. never sees anybody else we he see can, shoes he, yeah well, so many shoes do you, like down do you, all the way are shoes shined every week wall. or every day like <laughs> but and then you know i so i really do think it's supposed to be that he is like in hell and he is alone there even though there's many people in hell but you he's in his unique version mm-hmm. of hell right but i just i don't think that it's as 
literal as the metaphor or as Christian as that. I just think right. that uh, yeah. to write a right. script is hell. To to go in and like have to put yourself on, and it's not just that. It's like if it's your first script, then you don't feel like you're in hell at all. It's the pressure. Not just that society puts on you, but the pressure you put on yourself after a hit. After that, a hit. Yeah. Which, writing in a medium you don't care about, but also want to do good because people will look down on you if you don't do good. And no one is putting you there except for you because you're so creative that even your hell is creative. I, the, the Hollywood exec might be putting it on there who fires or pretends to fire another guy for daring to question why <laughs> Barton hasn't done a lick of work. You know, I have to say, though... um, Part of why I think he's tortured is that he knows that that play is not good. Like, right. that play is not good. It's a play-ass play. Like, it does a very good job of imitating, you know, the 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 way plays sound. But he knows that it's bad, and it right. is bad. But everybody praises him for it. And that is a form of torture. Like, yeah. he doesn't like that. He, and well, did you His notice- torture starts... In New York, for sure. Oh, yeah. Did you notice? But in New York, that's sort of like, it's sort of easy to be tortured. We're all tortured in New York. Yeah. <laughs> but did you notice that when he actually does write the wrestling picture, the ending of it is exactly the same as the end of the play that he writes in the beginning? So, like, the like the, the very last line is, like, now we hear the fishmongers crying and fish. Right, yeah. And that's the last line of the wrestling picture, the, too. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, uh, it, the, one of the only things that we know about the original play is that it, it mentions fishmongers. And then he goes, all we really see of his writing is that is that first line. And, like, you can hear the fishmongers. He's like, all right. I know how to Got make the mongers in there. I know yeah. I know how to make like a liberal common man play. Fishmongers, right? Okay, so they're mentioned. Check that off the list. But you gotta mention fishmongers are common. Common men are fishmongers. I, I like <laughs> in that line, comma. Mike. Uh you can't hear traffic yet. Or but do we you will. Oh, <laughs> man. Wow, it's just so ominous. The fecund emptiness of the city streets. Wow, that's just dreamy. <laughs> Which, if you've written a screenplay, you can't write that. You yeah, can't that say is horseshit. Yeah. yeah, that's only for you. That's kind of like... Because imagine being any of the crew that's working on that movie, and they're, they're like going through, what do we need? Or will we? What the fuck Think, is that? What the fuck does like, this what, mean? What are we supposed to do with do that? Do I do traffic noises quietly right now? Yeah, like, <laughs> Hey, screenwriter, can you just tell us what to do in the movie? <laughs> or will we? No, I think what you'll find is that I put some oh, very beat interesting right things in there. When we come back, we are going to do an in-depth dive into the history of the Coen brothers. We are back, and you, everybody knows we're fans of brackets, all right? we're the, Some people call us the, ba- the bracket busters, which we take as a compliment. So... We need to basically make all our decisions with brackets. And what we wanted to do for this one is talk about the Coen Brothers actors. Who are the best of the best? Is it best of the best, do you think, or most important, most iconic? What are we going for? Most Coeny. Most Coeny. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that like first of all, I I have a real affinity for this. Like, if you are a director that just keeps going back to the same six or eight actors, I'm I'm down. Like, yes, some people roll their eyes, and I think Wes Anderson gets too much hate in general. But people are already yes. like, "And Fresh Dispatch, you know, he's going to use a couple of the same people." It's like, of yeah, that's he is. He's fucking. He has a lot of that's success his troop. With those people. He yes. has Bill Murray and Tilda Mike. Swinton. So yes, you should probably yeah, use. I'm going to fucking go to. That's what you sound like to us, everybody. Okay, <laughs> when you make those claims, that's what you sound like to us. Uh, and 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 this one for the Coens and Barton Fink as a playwright, it feels very playhouse. Where the because it's the same crew will always 
do a different play, but it's always the same group. And that feels like the community the Coens have built. Yeah, and like when I'm writing a script, I have people to write to. Yes. And if I don't, I have to have that conversation of, I'm sorry, Bill Murray, but you're not going to be in this one. I don't, I have to, I have to, you don't look good in a bowl cut as a serial killer <laughs> holding a cow thing. Well, I and I, <laughs> I think with Wes Anderson and with the Coens, they write such elevated worlds that if you find actors who can do your dumb yeah. bullshit, yeah. you're going to go back that, to like, them. Uh, can you speak Wes Anderson? You know, like right. he found Edward Norton could speak Wes Anderson and then he was in every movie. And I think that I'm trying, we're trying not to use Coen Brothers actors, but uh, Coen Brothers, <laughs> I really think they definitely found that. that. Well, let's get right into it so that we can use the Coen Brothers actors. Your first matchup, and we went in there, we mixed up the seeds. This is all above board, all right? No, don't uh, don't say it's a below board. Yeah, we didn't rig shit. First up, <laughs> number one seed Steve Buscemi versus number eight seed Jeff Bridges. And now Jeff Bridges is interesting because he's the star of their biggest normie movie. Is that Big fair Lebowski? to say? Yeah. Yeah, the one that like everybody likes and everybody knows. Unless you're a Ryan. Am I guessing? Am I lying? No, you, I bet, you yeah, like you're right. Lebowski, I've never right? heard of the movie before. <laughs> uh, d- describe the movie The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I don't I it's not in my top half of Coen Brothers movies. But is he in other movies of theirs? Yeah, he's in True Grit. He's he's Rooster Cogburn. Oh shit. And he does True such Grit. a good Rooster Cogburn and it's so different. But he's a good actor, man. Yeah. Totally. Steve Buscemi is in Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, The Hudsucker Proxy, yeah. Fargo, and The Big Lebowski. And I, I feel like Steve Buscemi would not get the career he had without the Coens. Like, they're the first one. He's like, hey, we know he looks weird, but give him a chance. And he decided he could act circles around everybody. I would not put, honestly, a very small cast. And as much as I love the movie, and as much as I love the actor, I would not put Barton Fink on the resume. Like, him no, as Chet really. is like, yeah, you know, he does his job, but it's whatever. But I think that Miller's Crossing and Fargo... Fargo is really the one where yeah. Yeah. he is. Well, I don't know what to think of you at any moment until you start feeding people into a wood chipper. And then you're like, oh, he's the hero. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, wood chipper first and then Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I think that uh, Fargo is the one where like, he helped make the Coen brothers a little bit, but mm-hmm. they totally like made Buscemi. They gave the, the gift of Buscemi to all of us. All right, Mike, who do you think should move on? The Buscemi Bush. or Bridges? The Boosh. Ryan, what do you say? Yeah, I like True Grit, and I like the dude, but I think the Boosh. Yeah, it, not that my vote matters in this instance, but I would have gone with that, too, and with the same reasoning. Like, it's nothing against Jeff Bridges, but the Buscemi just feels like the most Coen Brothers pick possible. Next matchup is number four seed John Goodman versus number seven seed John Turturro. Got oh, a, little, a Barton Fink fight. John and John? A Barton Fink fight. <laughs> now, but, uh, but obviously, when I think of John Turturro, even though this is his movie, when I think of John Turturro, I really think of the Jesus. From, the Jesus. Yeah, right? Like, again, maybe Big Lebowski's so normcore at this point, but that particular performance really, like, that's something I remember almost the most out of Big Lebowski. But see, to- like, for me, with John Turturro in The Big Lebowski, and I don't mean to keep shitting on it, I'm sure it's a fine movie that. Lots of good movie likers like, but uh, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, that whole thing is so. Let's make this weird. He licks his yeah. bowling ball. Oh my goodness, Barton Fink, uh, impeccable uh, performance. Like it's wonderful. John Goodman, 
is the one actor you were like, if you watch him in anything else, you're like, well, he'll never be in a Coen Brothers movie. And yet, he makes every Coen Brothers movie be- like uh, a star and a half better than it originally mm-hmm. was. To, to, to be this likable serial killer. The only likable character in this movie is Goodman the serial as, killer, yeah. is the serial killer. The Cyclops it's so funny and how this oh is brother. Like, we're going to be talking about that again with Science of the Lambs, right? He's the most yeah. likable character in that movie. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Cyclops in, oh, in brother. Uh, oh Brother, he's like intimidating. And then he's he's the record label guy in Lewin Davis, right? Yeah. And yeah, man, this guy, he is so fucking good in every way. Why is he not the biggest actor in the world? Also, we should mention... This guy's in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. He is in the Pop Filter oh, Hall yeah. of Fame. Oh, yeah. And he has this thing that the Pop Filter Hall of Fame nominees all have, which or you know winners all have, which is uh, the second I see him or his name, I just smile. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like he makes oh, me so happy. We're totally good. We're good, man. We're, we're in the hands of John Goodman. He is so good at playing like the nice guy. He's so good at playing the evil guy. And then, I don't know if we're allowed to count this, but uh, his uh, John Connor... Is Dan Connor. I do. I, <laughs> no, I, I want to see in the Terminator reboot, John could, Goodman right? is John Connor. Uh, and now he's in the Righteous Fucking Gemstones, too. Yeah. He's so good yeah. at that. And we he's, like, he's the Goodman. Brian Cox of the Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's sure. the fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Uh, and and, and the, talking about uh, not a Coen Brothers thing, but in uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, he uses his I can be scary yeah. or I can be the friendliest person and just goes back and forth throughout that the whole Remember time. Remember how Dan would get like on every season of, of Roseanne. Oh, like don't six date a Connor daughter. Where he yeah, <laughs> he would just get so crazy scary. The, but the big one was when he beat the shit out of Jackie's boyfriend. Oh yeah. That beat her her up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, you do not want to get a beating at the hands of Dan, Dan or John Connor. Connor. Well he's well endowed, so it's unfair of him to do that. Alright. <laughs> All right. Who is going to move on? Is it John Goodman or John Tuturo? I, I gotta I gotta go with the good man. Ryan? As do I. Yeah, this is a nearly a slammy D, which is incredible to say about John Tuturo. So I think it actually says a lot more about John Goodman. Next up is number two number three C George Clooney versus number seven C John Polito. Uh Ryan, not for me, uh and not for Mike. Uh, but for listeners, who's John Polito? So John Polito was in Barton Fink. And John Polito is, I think, what a lot of people talk about when they see Jared Leto, once again, putting on a fat suit to be a character actor uh-huh. that mm. we used to have people act as yes. when it was the 70s and 80s. Right. This uh, is the assistant to the to the exec? Yes, but oh this is God. such an oh, off-character off anything, Coen Brothers movie or non-Coen Brothers movie for him because he's always screaming, yeah. sweaty, red right. face. Like, he is from... He's like a police commissioner type, yes, right? Yes, like, yes, but totally. Chomping on cigars. He's from the movies of the 30s. Yeah. But he's just in... And that's why it's awesome when Coen Brothers do uh, period pieces because they know who to cast. Yes. Of like, oh, no, you, you would have been sort of semi-famous in the 30s. <laughs> People uh, were particularly heavy in the way that you're heavy. Right. In the 30s. <laughs> so you wear your weight like a band from the 30s. It's just like, get out of here. Get out of here. You know, like that voice. <laughs> uh, and he's in, I believe, seven movies. Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, The Hudsucker Proxy, Big Lebowski, The Man Who Wasn't There. That's five. Let's say there's two more. That would equal seven. Going up Damn. against... Uh, going up against a star of three. But those three, yes. man, the, yeah. the Cloonster, uh, and it's like for, the star, like the mm-hmm. like the well, white hot incandescent star, star of Oh Brother, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say supporting character of Hail Caesar and then the star of Intolerable Cruelty. So what is how does that math add up? I guess I this might Are, be a strike against him, but I forget Hail Caesar. Oh exists. no, Hail Caesar's so good. <laughs> well, he's the worst part a, of it. He's a sup play of Burn After Reading. Do we just oh, not talk yeah, about that movie? No, he's also in Burn After he's, Reading. He's carrying that uh, sex pillow around throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I love how Coen Brothers, like Martin Scorsese did with Robert De Niro. Coen Brothers did with like, uh, all right, uh, you know, uh, Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. Now we have to go to George Clooney. And Martin Scorsese was like, oh, Robert De Niro, we have Leonardo DiCaprio now. That's how we're going to spend the back <laughs> half of our career. Uh, yeah, they just let George Clooney star in all their movies. And for the most part, I think it worked. But well, yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the Steve Buscemi's make sense. Like the, the, the people who are interesting and weird and make choices. But for George Clooney, who at times has been like one of the biggest Hollywood stars, obviously loves everybody else. Is like, just be George. And they're like, be fucking weird, George. He's like, yes. And so sometimes that's delightful. And sometimes I mean, it's We've all fallen in love with George Clooney five or six times in his career. Yeah. Yeah, but sure. I, Oh Brother was one of them, right? Just like, oh, what for sure. are you doing, oh my gosh, you little nerd? Yeah. You handsome Stay nerd. Stay out of Woolworths. When he pulls his fake beard down while singing that I'm a man of constant sorrow. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Polito to me is so Cohen. I don't know. I don't know what's Yeah, one is like a star outside of Cohen mm. Brothers. It is, you know, kind of only does his his shtick in the Cohen Brothers movies. And then you have a guy who is like more distinctly like Cohen what he's going to get when he screams at you, he's going to get so hot and sweaty, he's got to pull his yeah. collar out just to like, <laughs> I'm going to be here kill you. Well, who's it going to be, Ryan? Is it George Clooney's or Joe Polito? You know what? George Clooney? Figure out what this feels like. Here's a vote against you. It's John Polito. Yeah. What's it like not to be included? Now you know, perhaps. Mike? I'm going to make sure he's included and say George Clooney. Oh. Now you have to vote, Greg. That means it comes to me, and I'm going to say, you know, it's the Clunes. I can't. I want it to be Joe Polito, John Polito for that argument, but honestly, I just I got to go with my heart. And I'm a I'm a Clooney boy. All right. Up next is number three, Francis McDormand versus number six, Tim Blake Nelson. All right. So let's talk about Tim Blake Nelson. Um, oh, brother. And then uh, he was the Buster Scruggs and He's sung that song. Right oh, in the my beginning. gosh. Right. But Francis, there is no Coen Brothers without Francis McDormand. She's like the third Coen brother, right? She's the first if it's cool Coen to be married brother. to your brother. It goes Francis Joel Ethan. Yeah, and like serving so much in so many. How many different movies has she been in for them? Oh, Greg, that's such a fucking crazy question. I can't even believe you asked it. Here we go. Got Fargo, uh, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Fargo, The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. So like all of the Almost very all, of all the very good ones. Now a lot of those are voices. Like Barton Fink, she played. An actress on stage that we did not see. Uh. She played the phone. <laughs> she crouched really small and played a telephone. <laughs> ring, ring, everybody. Pick ring, me ring, up. ring. Francis, too much. If you could pull back a little bit from that, that'd be great. But who is this other ombre you're uh, talking about again? Tim Blake oh, Nelson. Oh, Busty Scruggs. Yeah. Uh, Busty Scruggs, the second brother. Because it's John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, and George Clooney, right? Or the, right. The three. When we think about Cohen performances, when we think about performances in the history of film, I go to Marge Gunderson from Fargo. I just, yeah, it's one of the best of all time. So realized, so three dimensional, yeah. like all these different, all these different things. Well, so who's it going to be? Her or the other one? I, I think it's got to go with Franny. Ryan. Franny McD. Yes. Yeah. I think we are all in agreement of that. Well, we are into our second round now, and let's see who we got. It's Jeff Bridges versus John Goodman. What do you say? Did, what do you think, Mike? I don't want to be this asshole. Didn't we all vote for Steve Buscemi? Oh, did we? 
Oh, yeah, we totally did. Ryan, what have you done to us? Um, this is probably Mike's fault. If we all chanted the boosh. Yeah, we were like, which boosh, I guess boosh. I didn't realize it's Jeff the Boosh Bridges. <laughs> all right, well, Mike, now it might be a little tougher for you to decide because it's Steve Buscemi versus John Goodman. It, it would have been easier a second ago. Yeah. I think I have to go with, once again, the boosh. Ryan? It, it, it's crazy because Buscemi's, I think, best, biggest Cohen performance is Big Lebowski playing donnie as like yeah the jerry from parks and rec before that existed uh but it was john goodman that made him the donnie and then also all of these other performances has got to be goodman so now it comes down to me my least favorite thing you know if it's just dude i like the most it's definitely no i'm going with john goodman john goodman moves on <laughs> i can't help it I'm so, i pictured him and it was like what are you gonna do all right, up next is George Clooners versus Francis McDormand. I hope in real life they have at least kissed. Oh, for sure. They've oh, This whole crew has everybody's swap. Right, okay, good. That makes me happy. What about one butterfly kiss? Is that more intimate than on the list? That's, that's too intimate. You're disgusting, you monster. That's yeah. safe yeah. for like, the when, marriage bed. I'm sorry. Wouldn't you rather kiss somebody on the lips than like just do that thing where you rub your nose? And your face <laughs> is so close. <laughs> and you just feel their hot trash breath. Dude, after you've been married for a while, I could not imagine smelling somebody else's breath. Because you're used to their trash breath, but other yeah. people eat yeah. different trash. I know, what? and it's going to like yeah. smell different. Why your mouth huh. smell like that? Why Put more you... onions in your diet. Why did you eat a fish skeleton? <laughs> I'm a cartoon Because I needed cat. a xylophone. You knew this going into this. I was a cartoon cat. This is what we do when we don't want to make tough <laughs> that's, decisions, That's everybody. the Paul Abdul MC Scat Cat fight that broke them. Ryan, George Clooners, or Francis Oh, no, McDormand. this is very easy. Uh, Clooney can kick the fuck. Mike, do you agree that Clooney can kick He's the lucky he got this far. Yeah, this is like such a slam dunk. She's balled him up and absolutely dunked him down. So now it's John Goodman versus Francis McDormand. Now, one is in the Potfilter Hall of Fame. Is one soon to be in the Potfilter Hall of Fame? Honestly, yeah. I can't believe Francis McDormand's not in the Potfilter Hall of Fame. I, I think the original eight we started with, there's arguments for all of them to someday be in the yeah. Potfilter Hall of Fame. Except maybe John Polito. Sorry, John. Damn. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a working actor and I do my best. Who do you uh, think it is going to be, Mike? John Goodman or Francis McDee? She's been called by some the first Cohen brother. I think there's a reason <laughs> for that. I think you need to it needs to go to her. I agree. John Goodman being in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame, you know that we love him, but uh McDormand doing all of these different things. You think when you think back on McDormand, you think that she is like a star? Because her yeah. characters are so similar, but they're not. They're, they're so not. crazy different. And yes. her and Raisi in Arizona, as opposed to Fargo, as opposed to you know going outside of them and uh, talking about Nomadland or Almost Famous, like uh, it's 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 got to be Francie McDee. I think she's going to crush Lady Macbeth. I think she's going to be terrifying. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is going to be really good. Well, congratulations to Francis McDormand. We are fans of Francis. We're frenzied. And we were the Francis. first. And Let we were the first record. fans of Francis, yeah. Perhaps future Pop Filter Hall of Famer. Who knows? What I do know is that when we come back, we will be talking about another interesting point about this movie. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic and perhaps... We have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email 
contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Are the Coen brothers just writing what they know? Or is the setting of Hollywood and the focus on a writer something more than just that? What are the Coens trying to get off their chest? Their collective chest. I, I, I feel like this is, what, their third movie? Third or fourth movie? It's Yeah, I mean, like, they wrote it as their... They wrote it when they were struggling with their third, so I think yeah. it came out as four. They wrote it as a response to struggling with Miller's Crossing, <laughs> which I find like offensive on so many levels. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so hard to get do this movie. God, I hate it. Let's, you know what? Let's take this rage we're feeling, bro, and let's just pour it into a completely different script. See, I love that you use your writer's block productively, but it's also I could see them mocking themselves, but definitely feeling like Barton, where they're the young up and comer, like whatever the new wave of art house style films are they're shaking up hollywood they want to make it big but they also fucking hate that they want to make it big yeah all of that feels in here the, the, the way they do not make barton likable feels like they are taking themselves to yeah, he, is, I, he is never likable right like there's not a moment where he is on screen where we like him is that correct well i mean like is a big word relate <laughs> relate to is a more appropriate word. Bigger word. Okay. I, like, <laughs> I relate to this person a lot, and I think that a lot of people do. I don't think you have to try to write a screenplay. Not that we would. I mean, three uh, middle-aged no. podcasters uh, podcasting about movies, I'm sure have never tried to write a screenplay. Maybe. I'm monogamous to the cast, right? <laughs> this is my life. This is what I've signed on oh, for. Like, I hate when he mission. talks like this. What? I know. It's from watching <laughs> yes. too much uh, What We Do in the Shadows. I'm like addicted yeah, to Matthew <laughs> Barry from What We Do in the Shadows. And it's not like, it's gotten unhealthy. Like, I want to be <laughs> this guy, but I don't think it's him. I think I want to be the character that he is. If yeah. which, What We Do in the Shadows. That's not came, an option. <laughs> what We Do in the Shadows came out when Austin Powers came out. Greg would be like. <laughs> Walking that around doing that impression so embarrassing <laughs> all the <me>. time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, it, to, to to be more serious, I kind of think that because we have Barton Fink, we don't have Kurt Cobain and David Foster Wallace on our hands. Like, I kind of think that you them, think that they did not ice themselves because they wrote this. Uh, they released Valve. I think this uh, switch. Do you think they were going to like joint direct their own suicides? This I, probably isn't a good <laughs> joke about. I said to be serious. Yeah, I know. I'm you sorry. You are bidding yeah. up a yeah, storm. Yeah, but then you start talking about the funniest thing out there: suicide. I'm sorry. No, but I do think that like uh, Kurt Cobain and David Foster Wallace's inability to make the jump and keep their punk rock roots. Is a, is right. a part of like to never stop thinking about like what it means to be mainstream, but mm-hmm. uh, not, but like art house, but stuff is expected of me. But like I don't want to sell out, but I want to make money, but I don't want, but I want to appease my fans. Like I that wanna, is that's a mental breakdown. Yeah. I want to push back on this in just one way, and I don't know that much about Kirk Cobain, but I do know about David Foster Wallace. And the 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 only thing I want to push back on is people come up with reasons for why he took his own life. I the just tru- did. The <laughs> truth is, he was massively <laughs> depressed. Oh, they always are. Yeah, but I mean, like, so that that was the reason depression he, killed David Foster Wallace. That's what that's what did him in. Okay, so uh, I'm lumping all of these artists into one thing, a little bit like the Coen Brothers are doing <laughs> when they throw uh, total recovery their version of <laughs> William Faulkner right into this and just say like, all our heroes are assholes, right? Yes, yes. and we're also assholes and can we make it through this i think that barton fink was in incredibly important work through in their career i think there's a benefit of being a duo 
where you're not dealing right. with it alone. And so you have your Joel or your Ethan to bounce these dumb ideas off of you and they can take the piss out of you. I think th- uh, the importance of being a duo is like what me and Greg have gone through on Movie of the Year, the podcast. Oh, that's so mean. Ouch. So what am I? I'm just going to go fucking David Foster Wallace myself and he gets the point for that? Put a bandana on. Put a bandana on it. Put a bandana on it. That's like go get your shine box. <laughs> go get a bandana. Don't you say that to me. Go, go get a bandana. Put a bandana on. And and they're so they're taking themselves to task, and they're also still getting their fuck Hollywood because look at everybody who's mainstream Hollywood here. It, it is the the Faulkner type, the but, Fraser's dad. It is uh, you, the guy who looks like Dennis Nedry, but I know is a different actor. But do you see this as a middle finger to every single part of humanity? Yes. Yeah. Ex- unless you're uh, a, a secretary, I guess that they're they're into creative secretaries, and that's it. No, but like I mean, this is a deeply dark and nihilistic movie, right? Like, there's nobody left at the end. There's nobody. There's no one you're supposed to try to be. But see, that's the thing that I think of. Not that I love the fact that we didn't watch Barton Fink's plane almost go down on the way to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and but it, you know it did. We all knew that it did go down, and that's why he's in hell. But <laughs> we are looking at everyone through Barton Fink's eyes, and right. including Barton Fink. What's and it, is 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 that the same as looking at humanity through the Coen Brothers' mm-hmm. eyes? And I mean, yeah, look, looking at their oeuvre, you can tell that they're not huge fans. See, I, no, I totally disagree. Like, I think that this is the one where you like, if you watch the rest of their movies, you can't say that. You know, yeah. like they have this reputation, like we talked about before. But I think that they do right. love humanity. I think that they were making a different point or they were in a different place in their I lives mean, or something was up with this movie. We've talked a lot about Fargo and specifically Francis McDormand. That Marge Gunderson is Marge goddamn. Gunderson. The, I, that I will argue they like individuals. They do not like humanity because oh, you, yeah, yeah, you can yeah, only yeah, name yeah. Marge Gunderson. So each movie might have one person I think that's true. who breaks their rule, but mostly what about her husband? at every level. Her husband is also a very nice gentleman. Uh, Mike, her husband gets is eating a sandwich from Arby's, and then she leans over and says, "You have Arby's on you," and then <laughs> uses a napkin to wipe it off his mouth. That's fucking marriage, and that's what we all aspire to be. That is exactly what we all aspire to be. <laughs> I want to be that guy. Do you? You both have brothers, and I've noticed there's a lot of like filmmaking brothers and filmmaking siblings. Is that? Could you imagine that? Like, is is that helping them or is it hurting them? Oh no! I would say uh, if we did it, uh, me and my brother, I would do all of the um, like filmmaking. Yeah, all of the talking to the actors. I would put the camera where it belongs. Yeah. I would talk to the producers. Yeah, and my brother would just be like doing one arm push ups while the <laughs> other arm is giving everyone else the middle finger. Wow, yeah. he gets a tattoo. I think they are so lucky to have found a brother they can work with. So many the uh, I just watched the national documentary Mistaken for Strangers and it's mostly about how being a younger brother of a famous brother sucks uh-huh. but the younger brother sucks so much and so the minute they try to start doing with each other it implodes like that's normal <laughs> brotherhood. Well, sometimes it's not blood; it's found. Like making movie of the yeah. year, it's me and Greg are brothers, and it's just the two of us. But just because this is so yeah. hurtful, I'm gonna. I feel bad. <laughs> I had to get you, you, you that other point. I have by to- taking it too far. <laughs> I had to give you your point. How does this, as directors, how does this stack up to the the other Cohen brother movies? That the thing is, is that like I sometimes I struggle with 
what does it all mean? Because there's some weird shit in this movie that I can't explain. Yeah, no matter how does, many times I does watch it, it come together? Like regardless of because if it is hell, there's a lot of weird stuff that doesn't need to be going on in hell, so it can't be hell. But it kind of <laughs> seems like it is. Does it like actually at the end? Does it cohere? I don't. And I don't, do we need that? I think that it coheres as much as I want it to, which is mm. this is what it's like to write. And yeah, you have said that a lot when. John Goodman throws out a Heil Hitler out of nowhere. Woo! Yo, that, I laughed my ass off because it was like, okay, sure, let's do that too. I can just sort of ignore it and just let it me let it be the movie that I want it to be. That felt like, well, we made him the most likable character. We have to make people not like him, right? Like, or let's just, like, make him just what say Heil Hitler. What if it's like, uh, all right, John Goodman, you're an incredible actor. You can just improvise on the set. <laughs> That's what he improvised. <laughs> I don't know. You went straight to that, John? I don't know where that came from. Honestly, I, I, that, I'm as surprised as you are. Him, him doing that, and then uh, the movie exec suddenly being being called the Colonel and being an yeah. outfit is why I think that the back half of the movie is the movie Barton finally is writing and turned in, and why the guy's like, "This is trash," because does, it's so. Where does it break? Would you say? Does it, in fact, is that our next question? Though, are you jumping the gun here? There's a there's know. a very famous take <laughs> on the movie that Ebert wrote about, and a lot of people think that it is about what it was like to be in Germany pre World War II and oh. how. You will let your neighbor. You'll just you'll just slowly learn that your neighbor is a psychopath and mm. not give a shit. So when he says Hail Hitler, Heil Hitler, yeah. he is proving that's to be the case. I don't get that from the movie. Uh, yeah, I, that that feels like I get. I like for me, it's all about the writing. But that, can that, that be one facet of a of the gem of the movie? Can that be one part of what? It, they're it doesn't doing? matter if that's what the Coen Brothers intended or not. No matter what he says, Heil Hitler, yeah, and he it, says yeah. it, and it, it very it very is like I'm going to ignore what my neighbor does because it's easier for my life. I like the good aspects yeah. about my neighbor that I'm going to ignore there nazi-esque attributes so in uh, my neighborhood that's kind of something i have to do yeah. i'm gonna be totally honest like I w- there's a lot of american flags hung up in your neighborhood greg uh, at this point american flags are a red flag check it out i have yeah. a guy this is one one of my neighbors uh he has a banner out on the front of his garage and it says anti-biden pro-american then he has a flag that says let's go brandon which frankly i'm triggered because i know what that means and he I has still don't he has erected a flagpole listeners i kid you not this dude has erected a flagpole and now flies an american flag he had to erect the flagpole <laughs> and also this the third of the flags is the american flag that's the one he most recently got he got the let's go brandon flag before uh, the american flag this guy sucks i bought a pack of marvel masks because i'm anti anti-maskers i actually wear masks and one of the Mar- or one of the Marvel masks that I bought is Captain America's shield, and I can't wear it because the wrong people say "What up?" To yeah, me, dude, John, John Goodman's going to hit you with a Heil Hitler. Yeah. yeah. When know. we come back, we will be constructing a Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, perfect in every single way. Four completely lovable gentlemen, the land totally just owned by the government, and so we don't have to worry about that part. Really, the only thing about it that is not perfect is presidents are boring. They're just it's boring you to know, know about them or think about them or vote for them. If you use a spray paint can, it's graffiti. But if you use a chisel over many mm-hmm. years, it's called art. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. That's what I did to my abs, and believe me, they're art because they're chiseled. <laughs> but I am in an awful lot of pain. 
We can never do a live show, guys. But the way that we talk about our three bodies uh-huh. on this show. Our perfect bodies, yeah. you're saying? Our Adonises. Yeah. We're almost too attractive, so we can't. We can't do it. We can't really do it. Beatlemania all over again if we did a live show. <laughs> all over again. Mike. So let's zhuzh up this mountain. And I got to say, I can't imagine a better thing to replace these crusty old presidents with than some of the biggest stars of 1991 television. <laughs> 91 television. 91 was a time where you would be like, can I go out on a Thursday? Probably not. I NBC says no. <laughs> yeah, NBC saying I got to be home. I guess I could set up the old VHS to tape it. But man, these VHS tapes are getting pretty expensive. Unfortunately, my VHS was already recording onto uh, AMC because yeah. AMC was playing Terms of Endearment that night and I had to watch that. Delicious terms of endearment. What's the sweet commercial breaks in terms? Mm. Uh, come on. If you have those VHS tapes from now, the commercials are more important. Oh, than yeah. Oh, for movie. sure. You just get to the commercials. Ryan. Ryan, since you made such a good point there and got a point, why don't you go first? Who belongs on our 1991 TV Rushmore? Greg, 91 television on a pop filter show? Yeah. Talking about Barton Fink? You bet. Is it John Goodman, Dan Connor, star of Roseanne? And I know that he is not the titular character, but who is the person who grounded that show and made it the popular show that it was? Who is still on that show? Becky number two. Who is Sarah Chalk? Who is still on that show because he did not uh, tweet a bunch of tweets about uh, uh, racism and stuff like that? I think it's John Goodman, a.k.a. Dan Connor. Honestly, what John Goodman does is he's like, they're going to let me improv. And when they let me improv, I just vent a little bit of the raci- racism I got in here. <laughs> Ro- yeah, just dude. Let it out. Just it's get the it character. Ro- you don't blame it on Ambien. No, dude. Roseanne's problem is she has so much vileness in her and it needs to come out all the time. Not just when she is pretending to be a different version of herself. But she's just being funny, cancel culture. She's just she probably. Sh- should have sang the fucking national anthem once a week to oh, let man. that poison out. Can you even remember what a time we were in where if you spit during the national anthem, that's what we found offensive? It's so funny that uh, that was like her other big, most controversial thing that she did. And she was in trouble with the opposite people that she's yeah. in trouble with now. But she's been canceled. What a weird life. Ryan. But John Goodman has not been canceled. But really, it's Dan Connor. Not John Connor. Not, Not John, John Connor. Connor, but you know <laughs> what? Sarah Connor. Maybe it could work. That is right up on the mountain, and what a great head to have up there. Mike, it's to you now. Who do you think should go on our Rushmore? 1991 Friday Night's One Programming Block Reign Supreme, and that was TGIF. Yes. In 1991, a little show made its debut saying, what if John Goodman was a fucking dinosaur (laughs) and earl and his crew to have to take this weird uh jim henson-esque thing they've been trying to make it since before the simpsons and nobody would they're like no but then the simpsons did very well and they're like i guess people would like a weird family and so they finally (laughs) got to make it and to have a puppetry based where they all die at the end. I know that in this season, but the not the all the, the weird dinosaur bullshit and it rocketed to the top of the charts. People love this show so quickly. It's baffling. When Mike talks about the show, he says, and I know, all the weird dinosaur bullshit aside, you know, <laughs> all of that goes Mem- that Remember when his boss came over and his boss is like so is like bigger than the so house. Big, like just yeah. a big ass dinosaur. 
remember that not the mama baby and then that baby grew up to be the attorney general <laughs> I, Eric Garland I did Eric not, Garland was that baby I did not know that so many people liked the show dinosaurs until William Barr came out <laughs> oh, was oh, and people were he like he did look a lot like that this baby. dude had the like same the like liver spots modeling. honestly listeners if you are driving pull over so you can google something real quick if you are at home get in the car google this thing real quick <laughs> imagine that idiot in a high chair look up the baby from dinosaurs and then look up a picture of william barr they are the same person and for that reason mike the baby <laughs> is going right up on the mountain William Barr. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like much in my life, the, the the first things I'm presented with, I'm like, I love this. And I wed myself to it forever. So I already have two up here. So maybe try not to have such good suggestions this, for this next part. I don't know. Oh, I got Greg, some bad ones coming I got don't bad worry. news for you, bro. Don't be so good at the game, maybe. William Bart. Is that his name? William Barr. William <laughs> Barr was, uh, became a celebrity. Because there was one network that fought for him. This other network, in my youth, fought for a different person to become a celebrity. 1991 was the last year that Bart Simpson was the head of the Simpsons. 92 would give way to Homer, and it would never give it back. But 91 was the last time. And this was also the first time that Fox Network made it to the top 30 of the ratings. Pop Filter Hall of Famer. Because he's sitting right there, yes. Bart Simpson. Uh, he's he's right there. He's right here, and he is annoyed, and he is screaming like Caramba. He is uh, wearing his persona, Bartman. Yeah, so it, I guess he's not here, Mike. Um, it's Bartman. Yes. It was very important to only the marketing and never the show. The right. character Bartman. <laughs> but I looked. I went through IMDb today, um, and this was 1991. Was the last year where every single episode had Bart in the title. And then, <laughs> wow. starting in the fourth season, it was all about Homer or Lisa gets to, Marge gets to. Mike, you were such a little baby boy at this time. I don't think you could possibly remember what the cultural dialogue was about Bart Simpson. Like, seriously, I can remember listening with my parents to the radio, and they had a call-in show about, like, is it okay that this kid who engages in, like, epic levels of sassback and, like, <laughs> who says ass and damn, like, can so we imagine, have this as a culture? Imagine, Mike, uh, to speak in your terms, the Power Rangers or Pokemon, like Pikachu, mixed <laughs> with Tom Likas or Howard Stern yeah. all at the same time. Little Pika Pika. And then, <laughs> oh, you did it. You can't imagine. And then it would be like, okay, Bart, say your crazy thing. And he'd be like, eat my shorts, man. <laughs> and it's like, oh no! <sighs> Can the country take it? Can the culture take it? I, uh, I, I, I also know of multiple kids. I'm sure we've told this story before, but multiple kids who would have to be sent home from elementary school because they had the word hell or yeah, damn dude. on their shirt. Oh man! And they yeah. were not saying it. Bart Simpson was saying, it. "I don't give a damn, man." What? You're a child. I'm sorry. What? You, you should give all the dams. You have to give a damn. Being a child, you have to give a damn about everything adults say and do. It's your do. legal obligation. Meanwhile, we should be teaching kids don't fucking do anything an adult tells you. Like no. you are in danger when you are around adults. So like if they try to do any if they try to tell you what to do, say don't they have a cow, man. Don't say I carumba. <laughs> say that's my purse. And I don't know you, and then kick him in the beach. <laughs> and you get your fucking skateboard and you skate away, yeah. middle finger, laughing the whole time. Bart? Never let an adult lay a finger on your butterfinger. <laughs> Mike. 
Barton Fink, Barton the Mountain. (laughs) All right. Well, I've just absolutely screwed myself, but that's okay. Yeah. It's a nice leg up knowing I won't be on the mountain right here. (laughs) Mike. What do you think should go Just on say whatever you want now, bro. Yeah, free No, yeah, now I can... Free look, associate. What if there wasn't 24-hour news channels? It would actually make people care about the news better and the reporting was better, which means the number one show was every Sunday, even five-year-old Mike was fucking pumped when that little stopwatch went... Oh, shit. Number one show, 60 minutes. Five-year-old Mike, watch this as well, because I was tapped in. So I'd say On the Mountain is that little stopwatch the, the, the stop timer watch? the timer i have to it's say the face it is a face that's a very exciting argument but i'm just gonna put it on the maybe pile because you know got it i want to hear some more of these these but that's very convincing i, I told uh, to say anything <laughs> this is not morally sorely morally safer no i have morally to say my shaver. thing <laughs> <laughs> no, no the watch is the famous one the watch is the most famous one this show is so big that they simulcast it on the radio People, people who are younger than us don't understand that. Like in the early to mid '90s, the number one show every week yeah. until like Regis Philbin started asking people questions was sixty minutes. Yeah, and honestly, just, for a news, the name story, of the show is just how long it is. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> That's how long you have to sit down. Okay, give us fucking sixty minutes. Okay, but I have to say it's. It's, it was also an interesting show. Like, they did a good job of narrativizing stories of the I day. I bet if we went back interviews. now and watched it, we would have a lot of problems with the journalism. But back then, I, de- I definitely agree. I think it is pop journalism, too, though. And that's what people right. wanted. And then, they, as you said, Mike, they, they gave us a whole channel of it. So, Ryan, I feel it's only... I need a couple more maybes before I pick my, my golden boy. So why don't you give me one of the maybes? 1991. I didn't just go to Wikipedia, Greg, and see that 60 Minutes, oh, number one rated show. I guess I'll say that and hopefully get points. <laughs> uh, I watched the shit out of 60 I did. Minutes. I did some research and found Five out that 91 was the, the year that changed TV forever okay. because there was no more. Or this was the end of Saturday morning cartoons as we knew it. They weren't just on networks because Nicktoons came out. And it was Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy all at the same time. I'm choosing Doug. Yeah. For the head, but, I but also... you're using two other shows to boost Doug. Yes, you're arguing for Doug. You can't argue for all three. No, I'm arguing for Nicktoons, and I'm going to use Doug. But I, I, I could see it being Tommy Pickles. I could see it being Ren. I could see oh. it being Stimpy. I think that Ren and Stimpy are a little me too at this point because, oh my goodness, did that creator have? Does he have a difficult past? Yeah. Oh, does he? I'm oh, glad I never yeah, got yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy one to write off. Yeah, that's why I'm not going to put the log up. Uh, but no, I think that Doug is the one that uh, has had probably the uh, stinkiest um, reach throughout all of these years. You know, like we know his favorite band. We know his theme song. Uh, and it was a big deal because there wasn't just those three networks anymore. Now Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon never looked back. Like after that, yeah. it was SpongeBob. And after that, like mm-hmm. it really became a huge, Avatar, huge player. The Last Airbender. That's like bigger. Th- that's almost bigger than Nickelodeon as a whole. That's a very good one, Mike. What do you want to put on the maybe pile? I'll see a cartoon and raise a cartoon. One cartoon was brave enough in 1991 to demand the kids to get dangerous. Spinning out of the DuckTales, woo, they said, what if Drake Mallard was also a Batman type and also taught kids about parody and farce? <laughs> it was delightful. Darkwing Duck came out in 1991. I, just, I love the whole aesthetic of obviously capes are unwieldy 
What yes. About, what about a giant hat as well? What about the yeah, biggest dude. fucking hat you've ever seen? What if you just went for it? What if you just like enjoyed it? What if fedoras were sombreros? <laughs> <laughs> Marvel's not asking that hard-hitting question. What if? Well, I love that. Wait, I, I got one more. One more. Can we do one more? Okay, one more each. Jeez, uh, I indulge you. At one point, one vice president said, uh, hey, this show has disgusting perverts that will have babies without husbands. And we have to talk about Murphy Brown. Oh, again. Murphy Brown, of course. We have to talk about Murphy Brown. Dan, Dan Quayle, Quayle went like out of his way. Dan Quayle was 1,000% smarter in every way than Donald Trump. And yet he was a pariah because he spelled, he misspelled one vegetable one Can time. Spell potato. And said Murphy Brown should have a father. <laughs> should have a father? Of her baby. Oh. Like he was mad she was an orphan? <laughs> It's just the Bible does not support it. I'm just a Murphy Brown. That was a huge story. Mike, what is your last maybe? My last maybe was going to be Rugrats. It's so crazy that Ryan just burnt every other... It felt felt like a poor strategy. I mean, great strategy, but poor sportsmanship to be like, he he only needs one. He said Doug. Do you want to say the TP, Tommy Pickles? I'm going to say Tommy Pickles because uh, Doug came and went and nobody really cares anymore but rugrats not only got several movies Ouch. they got a new show it's coming back Me out ow the claws are and out we know reptar if, if we're just uh, oh we all know, people reptar. know we're all always talking about reptar oh but we're all talking about doug pickles favorite bands <laughs> doug funny's favorite bands <laughs> uh the pink tofu the funny that's not what they were the called yeah, asshole. god every show mike every show we have to find a time where i fucking hate your guts and i wish you were dead <laughs> It's so cute. They're like this all the time. I am going to go with the stopwatch because I think I really like yes. um, that visual of having a stopwatch <laughs> on there. Also, 60 Minutes was a show that's been on for a long time. It was crushing it. It went in like, the 91. It was like 20 million viewers for some reason. Yeah. I mean, in my family, it's what we did every Sunday evening. Like, that's mm-hmm. all, all we did. All right. So on the mountain is Dan Connor. Hey, buddy. Um, William Barr as the baby dinosaur <laughs> from Dinosaurs. Barton Fink is on there as well. Bart Simpson is there. And then the stopwatch. It's a big old stopwatch. <laughs> and that is your Rushmore of 1991 TV stars. When we come back, one final question about Barton Fink. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on bandcamp he's on spotify uh soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check him out. Picture of a woman on a beach that eventually becomes real at the very end of the movie. Plays a large role in the story? What? What that? What's going on? The movie spends a lot of time like dealing with this lady in the picture. But I'm a smart guy. <laughs> right? And I can usually figure things out. But I do not know what's going on with this. 
I think that uh, can we all admit that once we saw a lady walking on the beach at the end when Barton Fink was sitting there, we were like, "Oh, I bet I know what position you're gonna mm-hmm. get in." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that. So like, th- that's it's, it contributes to the dreaminess, right? But, like, he's carrying around a box of heads. Is it that he? Or head, not- or zero heads. It may have anywhere between zero and two heads. I'm going to employ the lost argument, and I'm going to ask, is he not in hell, but instead in purgatory, and at the end of it, he has been like harrowed, and so now he is in uh, heaven? I think the purgatory argument works in a couple of ways. One, Chet comes from Blank. the bottom of... Chet! Exclamation point. <laughs> Chet. Behind the hotel booth, like where people work, yeah. uh, Chet comes from the downstairs. Like, yeah. where are you coming from, bud? Because that's not a normal thing that hotels have is a mm. downstairs behind the booth. Just like a cellar where you keep your doorman. Yeah. So he's coming up from somewhere lower. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it's not hell. Okay. And, I like that. And two, uh, the studio head very clearly says, hey, make him right forever. We will never make one of his right. pictures. Yeah. We, he, we, he is going to write for us in perpetuity. Right. We will literally never write one. And you know, he's never going to learn to write a Wallace Beery wrestling mm. picture. He's always going to write like his fruity liberal pictures yeah. that he wrote the first time. He's got so, that Bart and Flink flavor. But this guy has everybody can write Bart and Flink flavor. Yeah. What do we think that means? And also, That's fucking purgatory. Doesn't John Goodman almost say as much because he points out his biggest flaw. He points out the reason he's probably you caught in don't. this. Listen. You don't listen. You say you're a writer, but you don't listen. I'm telling you, I have things that are going to you like you want to write about me. Right. And I'm right, right here and I'm constantly telling you I could tell you some stories. Just so stories. Just, I his, bet you could. His frustration in the first half of ha- like telling him that he has stories, he's about to say one, but he never gets mad. He just gets a little frustrated yes. in the background <laughs> as Barton Dude, Fink interrupts him. How much work do the beads of sweat <laughs> do in this movie john goodman's ability to like sweat at dramatic moments has to be how unparalleled. does he do that i believe Is he like me. a buddhist monk where he can raise his own body temperature and heartbeat so for me it's like i can't decide when to stop sweating <laughs> but he can actually get like dewy and then like at the moment where he is most frustrated one bead of sweat just goes like <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too about the picture that which is an interesting word. The picture yeah. in the hotel room. The he picture. says, you, Drill you, down on that. you should be in Man, pictures I'm getting decimated. to the lady yes. at the end. <laughs> and we all think it's like, oh, you're so hot. You should be in films. But what but he's saying not. is, you should I be in. I want to put little borders around you and hang you on my wall. Yeah, right? I want that. Because Mike. isn't that ultimately what it is? He's idolizing this very fixed version of a woman. And he's not waiting He's not like looking for better than that. He's waiting until some woman comes in and literally conforms to that. But that the thing too is that while he's writing, the thing that distracts him the most, even more than the oozing paper with the sound, what did you call it, Mike? The sound of uh, jizz getting shot out. Yep, of a penis. <laughs> Sounds like something I'd say. Uh, the <laughs> the thing that distracts him the most is a painting or a picture in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the lowest form of art? What is the like all hotel, hotel art? art. <laughs> hotel art is the lowest form right. of art. All but, he's trying to do is up the uh, ante or like the artisticness of films because he makes plays. And the thing it, that he can't get enough of is hotel art. <laughs> Bro, I, you I, are the common man. You've been the common man this entire time. You're the basic man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also think it's that he's he makes his life more hellish than it needs to be because how much he fucking cares. Even other writers are like, if you chilled out, it'd be easier. He's looking at her 
just chill and stare at the ocean, be on a beach. If he did yeah. anything else, if he left that hotel room for a day Mark. and lived and got to see it, like but everybody's been telling him, he would do, be a better human being and a better writer. You cannot do that if you're a writer or a podcaster or a watcher. You cannot do that. You can only see people enjoying their lives through screens or frames. You can only look into squares and see people enjoying and, and, and try to relaxing guess how to relate to yeah, it. And then sort of see, like, Why? is that how you relax? You can't actually relax. And that's why we sort of have a good ending. Although I don't think that the ending is, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not that it's not telegraphed. I don't think that it's clear. Like I've really tried to figure out this ending and I, no, I, I don't know I, what it I, is. I think it's biggest... very, go Mike. I was gonna, I think it's very purposely fucking figure it out. And I, that's why like, it made me go, ew, no wait. I like, like <laughs> that. There's not enough annoying things to make you hate it. They stuck the landing. They did not do the Olympic hands in the air. Because it was all messy the whole way, but they wanted to be messy just because it's different than most movies. What about at the end where during the end credits, they all looked at the camera and sang, why do you build me up Buttercup? Was that weird? It was a little weird. (laughs) I bought it. But (laughs) I I think that that is ultimately, I don't know. I I guess I see more like you, Ryan. I think I see it as a strike against the movie that like, they're like, well, we didn't quite get it all to come home, but you know what? That's all right. We, We got to say most of what we wanted to say. And we'll leave it in a kind of a uh, you figure it out space. But and is I think open big- ended in like is are movies the only medium we do this where open ended means bad? Well, no, no we love it, on this podcast we love open ended movies, but only when it's like the lines are kind of going towards each other and you can figure yeah, out you have how to, to connect them. You have to see the foundation, even though if it's confusing to you, you have to look down and see that there is plumbing. And I, I don't think this is a knock against the movie. I just think that like you can't just do whatever you want. And or, but I, don't, I guess you I don't think it's as long as it all comes together to means to all add up to mean something. I, I think it, it means something. This is like the, one of the more poetic movies we've watched. I mean, like come and see, obviously, is as well. But we're ending where it's I can t- I can argue that it's hell, and Ryan can argue that it's writing, and we're both right that the I like that the pipes disappear if we're using the pipe I d- I metaphor. Don't think- like. I don't think any argument about it will... I don't think you could like say it is hell and have that consistently work. I don't think you could say it is purgatory and have that consistently work. I don't think you can say it's not and have that consistently and, work. Right. And so like, I do want to eventually come to a thesis, even if it's very vague, and have it all sort of change my thesis or gel with my thesis. But what I'm, that, that's why I keep going back to the fact that this is what it's like to write because it is fucking insane and all of this stuff happens. That's about as lofty as i can go with this movie does that make sense yeah i think it opens up a lot of doors and it 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 like has a lot of elements to it that are very interesting and profound and then the closer it gets to the point where you were supposed to resolve what you're saying the more it feels like they kind of went like uh and then he says heil hitler uh and then this happens and then, uh, <laughs> you know and it's like because we're kind of talking about the holocaust we're kind of talking about the afterlife and we're kind we're definitely talking about how difficult writing is and making movies i mean what about this like i think that Barton Fink going back to that hotel art, and I, I like the 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 photograph or the painting that's in his room of the woman on the beach, like is really important in the movie. And I think that when he sees it at the end, when that woman recreates the picture, that sort of almost like studio note saying, "Well, you got to end it with something that isn't hallways burning." what do you mean why we don't (laughs) exactly want heil hitler to be the last line in the movie because what if he screams it and looks at the camera (laughs) (laughs) or just like 
Maybe he was supposed to be in purgatory always. Like that's where he is going to be comfortable, and he found it. You know, he's just always going to be looking at that thing, writing for no reason. Because when he wrote for a reason, it fucked him up so much that he created this hell for himself. So now he's in this purgatory where he's writing for literally no reason. Yeah, or that if he's not literally in purgatory right now, that like this is going to be how they construct his purgatory when he gets to it. Like he is in the, he's like kind of like, prefiguring his purgatorial stay. Because let's be honest, Barton Fink is so Barton and the studio head is so studio that he's never going to write a script where the studio head is like, all right, let him out of purgatory. That's never going to happen. The only way he could do it is if he does the opposite of what he does, which instead of copying a script he wrote earlier, copy a script that somebody else wrote. Which other people tell him to do. Yeah, like, just right? Get it out of your system, just man. do the things. There's a name that we haven't said at all, I don't think, and that's Judy Davis, who I think is absolutely phenomenal in this movie. And he gets so upset at Judy Davis, who plays like uh, right. William Faulkner's ghostwriter slash lo- lover slash ghostwriter. And he gets so mad when, she find- when he finds out that she's the ghostwriter. It's... In part because, one, his hero was shot, right? His yeah. hero is dead. But two, why didn't I think of that? I could have had you been doing the typey-typey, and is that I would have just been doing the drinky-drinky. I don't know if it's that. I feel like it's Millie Vanilli thing where he's like, I feel dumb for looking up to this person who isn't artistic, who he gave a pass for beating women. He's like, son of a bitch, but he's a hell of a writer. After he uh-huh. sees him punch a girl in the face. Which, who doesn't? I, who can't say that about among us, you know? <laughs> So I, I, I didn't see it as like, oh, I want her to do this. He, I think he, punk rock really wrestles with, she's like, yeah, let me do it. And he's like, uh, I thought he was going to, after they fucked and waking up, I did not expect her to be dead. I thought there was going to be a treatment for him to go off of. He called her to help him. I think he wanted a lot of help. Yeah. But he didn't know she did that. I think it was more just like, I need a sounding board who's not Charlie, because he doesn't respect Charlie. He doesn't respect right. himself. I Yeah, and... Side note, there is a long history of women who were like the writing assistants for their husbands and like wrote a lot of their stuff or have a lot to do with it. Both Tolstoy and Dostoyevsky, like their wives were deep up in their writing. Good. (laughs) And uh oh. Wow, I had so much more good stuff to say right there, but then speed round (laughs) came in. What is the best wrestling picture? Ryan. Go, Ryan. Uh, is it ready to rumble with uh, Scott? Foreign objects. That's what he yells when Rose McGowan takes her shirt Mike, off. Have you seen the film Ready to Rumble? <laughs> I might have seen yeah, Jimmy the King. I've seen the wrestler. Oh wait, Ready to Rumble. Oh, oh the wrestler. That's but the wrestler. wrestler. But it's probably it's the wrestler, the wrestler yeah. right? Ryan. There you go, Ryan. I'm the one who said. The- oh fuck this fucking bullshit. Don't be Ryan. Yeah, yeah. One of the many battles Barton must face is his masculinity versus the men of California. Are the Coens saying anything more than that all writers are soy boy losers? I think I, it's- I think they have low thoughts about themselves as far as women go. I think that they think that they are losers. I think it's also every kind of guy sucks in this movie. There's not like one version <laughs> is but, good. They're just saying like, aren't men the worst? But I think that they have like ex- like uh, made them the extreme worst, whether it's John Goodman or uh, John Mahoney. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like these are the t- worst types of men. And aren't we good instead? What other famous sitcom dad could have been in this movie? Oh, uh, Tim Allen? No. Oh. He would have been trash as the William Faulkner That is such a bad answer that I have to give Mike a point because I'm upset. Red Foreman. Okay. Red Fox. Mike. 
If Red Fox was just part of the writing team. Ryan. Red Skellington. <laughs> I wish more people could see the, the all right, head nod that <laughs> Greg gave Ryan. Uh, who do we know that dances like Barton Fink? It's, like it's Charlie Brown? It's straight up me. When Barton started dancing, my wife pointed and laughed because that is how I dance all the time. He even did kind of the punk rock elbows that yeah, I'm dude. unfortunately famous for. Also, let's point out the fact that people in the military look at Mike and the way he dances, despite the fact that Mike was in the military. <laughs> yeah. But everybody I served with looks at me the way those army guys look at Barton. Mike, you were famously in the military. Thank you for your service. Do you think it is stolen valor to go to a USO dance if you're just a fucking... No, because his uniform that's his, his uniform. Brain. His uniform is his creation. No. It's how he serves the common man. I think writers do more for their creative good than veterans. This, this is a dance for boys who are going to be shipped off at the World that War II. first sailor is like, can I cut in? And he expects like, oh, of course. Of course. And he gets a little bit of pushback and it starts a battle between <laughs> the army and the navy shot like a 1940s farce. <laughs> but wait a minute. Aren't soldiers kind of the common man? Doesn't that mean that Barton Fink's not living the Barton life Fink that he might not care about the common man? He might oh, hate the common no. man. Did you watch this oh, movie? Oh, no. Oh, uh, what secret images would you put on the back of your tie? What secret image would we all put on the back of our tie? I would put Mike naked. <laughs> and just show people. I think mine would seriously be in a naked lady. I think that's the one. <laughs> Maybe that's not a great answer since that's what the serial killer had on the back of his tie. What are the a sword- book. A book. A very good book. Just the cover of a book. Yeah, just a super good uh, book. One of the One of the most soy boy parts of Barton Fink is when he sees John Goodman's tie and he's like, ew, that's weird. Like, oh, he hates women. No, that's fucking awkward. Yeah. When somebody yeah. shaped like John Goodman shows you the bottom of their tie and there's a naked lady yeah. there, how would mine you would, like me to react? Mine would be a magic eye, and the longer you look, you realize it's John Goodman naked showing <laughs> you a tie. <laughs> of a very covered woman. <laughs> of a very dressed woman. That is one of the worst parts of being a dude, is when you're just like with another strange dude, and you don't know his vibe, and he doesn't even know your vibe, and he does something like that. Oh, yeah. And you're like, hey, you like that? And it's like, no, dude. But he, he's always first to strike. I'm going to get to know yeah. this dude's vibe. Yes, yeah. I'm just going to I'm just gonna test out a little bit of light racism, see if he's one of those types of guys. And no, we're not. When we come back, it's award season. Awards. Many covet them, but few ever win them. Awards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> so, h- how many Oscars did this win? Can I get a readout of how many Oscars? I think it was nominated for three. Okay, so we can get some noms, but no wins, right? Nom, Didn't nom, take nom, any nom. down. Who is going to award this an Oscar? I don't know. Cause they, okay, ov- here's the thing. It is about Hollywood, so that means they Hollywood types. That. But... It, there, there's no Hollywood figure that it's, comes out looking okay. This oh. is dirty as shit. And yeah. like, uh, I don't want to get to recommendations yet, but don't. Okay, uh, like it's gonna get to that soon. Um, this is uh, a crazy movie for '91 because they had to hire a new cinematographer. Do you know who that was? No, it was Roger Deakins, who he went on to do most of the rest of their movies and get eleven Academy Awards. Right. Do you know why they had to hire a new one? Because the old one died in a plane accident. The old one had to make a movie, a direct movie in 1991. <gasps> the Adams Family. It was The Adams oh, Family. Oh, wow. Right. That's fun. All right. The first award we are handing out is More Like Barton Stink. Now, Mike, what do you think is meant by More Like Barton Stink? Uh, the Barton Fink. It's the name of the movie, name of the protagonist, but More Like Barton Stink. The time he's the shittiest. Okay. I like that. I like that interpretation. When do you think he's the shittiest? 
uh, for me, it's the that son of a bitch. Don't get me wrong; he's a great writer. To the person who just got hit by that drunk asshole. Oh my god, that's that's he good. still doesn't want to lose his like writing hipster cred yeah. of who he looks up to as an artist. I still love him. Do you think Frazier's dad there kind of like accidentally purposely hits her? Like the way he hauls off is like, eh, I'm just trying to get away, but he punches her right in the head. It is very uh, get away from me, mm-hmm. but also I want to strike you. Yeah, all at the same time. Right. Uh, no, it was it, on purpose. It's drunk as fuck. Not Frazier's dad in real life, but no. <laughs> Ryan, uh, my Barton Sink is the first time you realize that. Oh my god, this guy is not the common man. This guy has a common man. <laughs> There's a point where John Goodman literally touches his temples because this is the third time he's tried to get a story. Flames. Out. Yeah, and just cannot get the story out. And it like the camera cuts to like a profile of John Turturro. And as he's about to give this like great speech about how much he cares about the common man, and you can see John Goodman in the background going like, oh my fucking God. In some ways, I imagine that it's like that John Goodman, it's specifically his job. He's like the Michael from The Good Place in, in this purgatory situation. And that <laughs> when we see it, we're seeing just one of the runs of Barton Fink through purgatory. Maybe it's the <laughs> final successful one. But so the when you see him be, John Goodman be so annoyed that like that annoyance is like kind of the infinite annoyance of like a demon who's dealt with this guy for like a <laughs> hundred years or something. You just don't listen. Uh, but I'm going to go with Mike's Mike. Cause that is just like so icky feeling when he says that. All right. How about the award writers do be like that. Ryan, what do you think this this award means? Uh, we already talked about it, but it's at the dance show, the USO dance show, with all of the big beefy soldiers, and then being like, "My brain creates, <laughs> my brain made stuff. This is my unit. My brain is my uniform." Is one of the all time writers' <laughs> lines. My brain is my uniform. You're probably gonna be dead in a week, but this is gonna last forever. <laughs> What the fuck do you think you do, bro? I understand how hard it is to sit in front of a typewriter, but what the fuck do you think you do? Mike? Uh, I think it's it, it was Ryan's Barton Stink is his speech of like, and these thoughts, they're so hard. And Charlie, you're too simple. You don't think these hard thoughts, and this is actually what's so hard. I have stories, and I'm sure you do, and I'm sure they're great, but I'm going to keep pontificating right now. This one, I think, is going to go to Ryan. Ryan, because that, like, I'm the real troops. <laughs> you know, like I like there there is something to the fact that he goes to a USO dance. Like I mean, mm. and then says the brain is There has like, to be other open bars around, right? Yeah. To celebrate your thing. But also the, he's like, the troops and he wants to support himself. We haven't talked about the fact that an entire war started while he was writing the script. Right. And he never makes mentions of it. He has no idea. He, doesn't he care. never looks at his phone to That's see what how I relate war to. started. <laughs> Uh, I'm so. I think I already gave that one to you can give Ryan. Me one. You know, just give him another one. Just hit you up with another. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. It's more subtle than that. Right. Next up is pound for pound performance. Mike, who do you think gives the best P for P? I think in it so often, if you could see somebody acting so hard that they're sweating, that would be bad. But here, uh, I think what Goodman does is is bafflingly good, and that he is comedic. He's threatening. He's plays simple he, he plays like that normal neighbor you hate and then you're like actually i think yes. he's the hero yeah. but then you also buy that he's the serial killer and all of it gels into one cohesive person i think that we know at this point that we can give goodman the 
chew on the scenery rolls for like the mm-hmm. third act. Like, oh, Goodman will be good, right? Yeah. Like that'll be fine. Yeah. But what he so does good, man. in the first two thirds of the movie of like never letting you relax. Yeah. Like, are you going to beat this guy up? Are you like, are you going to say something racist or like what yeah. is going? But you always have the smile from the first. But you never let us relax. That is a work of art. What he does in the first two thirds of this movie. From the time you first hear his voice. It's uh-huh. like, is this guy sobbing or laughing or yeah. both? And you that have no pervades idea. the rest of the movie. So you both, co- you both say Johnny Goods? Yeah. Yeah. He, when he comes in, Mike. like, that whole time that he's in the first scene where he just sits on Barton Fink's so bed, tense. like, you're freaking out because you are Barton Fink because you're a fucking nerdy writer, Mike. You're a nerdy <laughs> yes. writer. And you don't know if this guy's going to whip your ass. And then you buy into him. You start to trust him as much as Barton Fink does. Mm-hmm. It's it's an amazing performance. Well, that one goes to both of you. And you're both geniuses. How about Director Siggy? Director's signature move. What do you say, Ryan? I thought about this a lot. Um, and I think that the... I mean, to sum up the Coen brothers in... Just one shot is is hard, but I do think that back then it was about the genre bending, and it was about the what the fuck kind of movie are we watching, and what is real and what is not. Like, what is the thing that messes you up the most? And so this is not like this is not a crazy one. There's a lot of ones where like that feel Kubrickian, you know, especially <laughs> if we're talking about The Shining. But the one that really hit me was from Totoro's point of view. With John Goodman on all fours, like egging him on to come and wrestle him. And <laughs> come wrestle, sl- friend. Come wrestle. And it slowly moves in on him. And you're like, what the hell? What movie am I watching right now? I do not know if it's a comedy and how funny it's supposed to be. I don't know if this is a horror movie and how scary it's supposed to be. Like, what the hell is happening? And I think that's what they do the best is just move their camera in such a way where, like, you don't. Whatever genre expectations you had are done with, dude. That is horrifying and hilarious all at the same time. Very good. Mike? Yeah, uh, I guess it's similar reasoning, but mine's when Barton is sitting down talking to the cops for the first time, and it's the the amount of tension and frustration. Sweat. Sweat that Barton feels, because these people, I guess, should be on his side, because he doesn't know like the the level of like everybody's playing everybody nobody's really listening and everybody's being the biggest dickhead to somebody else while they just slowly are ratcheting it up is he going to get caught but also he hates them for not liking him right away uh-huh. i'm going to go with ryan's because that Ryan. i i think that the core of it being john goodman and john Turturro and that like that whole wrestling thing is so uncomfortable because you're like, don't wrestle this dude. I'm a little bit out of your weight class. You are like five <laughs> times the size of that, out. dude. But the other thing about Mike's scene too is that like, I think that Mike's scene really sells it, but a lot of scenes do is like, I can literally smell what's happening. Like mm-hmm. it's this hotel and it's musty and it's gross and the, the amount of sweat, but like you really can smell this entire movie. And you know, it's this has the noir lighting that is so popular yeah. now, but really was not done that much it you know in 91 but not black and white like flashy style but like green no. and yellow yeah i'm gonna make very, everything look gross. subtler very yeah. much not in your face and i can't believe the lighting in some things now like you have the responsibility to show your audience what the fuck is going on in your yeah. scenes and they did enough of this so that you got like the the idea of it without it being dark Greg. oh wow thanks <laughs> mike 
Did you find yourself given a good cringe at any point in this movie? So often the movie wants us to cringe. That's sure, like a yeah, Cohen thing. So you're like, well, that I, I don't count that if it's cringe humor. If it's cringe, so like you have to change your meter, right? Yeah. It. So the I don't know what the point of it is here, and it's uncomfortable. I think I have to give it to the Heil Hitler, then because like th- I don't know if this jives with actually the rest of it it's kind with of the like character. A free radical, a little bit of like an un, you know, it's like a <laughs> remainder. Like everything else yeah. kind of got d- gets divided and out every, and then you've got this thing, and you're like, when that thing is the phrase Heil Hitler, it makes you feel really, really, really uncomfortable when that's the undigested little tidbit that's left. And it made me snort in laughter, but not in the way the rest of the movie had made me like laugh at things. It, it was, it was like just so sh- came and pushed on my stomach or something. Like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Oh, wow. All right. Touching my gut. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, listeners. If you see me, uh, don't come up to me. Always push on the gut. Nope, no, he don't. loves it. He loves While it, you guys. whisper Heil Hitler in his face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is why I stay in my house. Ryan, what time made you cringe i agree with mike in that uh the coen brothers are sort of timeless um the time full scenes are rare like opportunities of like oh this is this is from 1997 you know like they really do this good job of making it feel like movies that are now and then and later uh so i i i didn't go for something that made me feel cringy in 2021 i made myself feel cringy in all times (laughs) and it's uh a bead of sweat Falls down John Goodman's head because he's he's so sweaty. Yeah, and I think it's sweat. It's like oh my ears leaking again, yeah. and then he mops <laughs> it up and puts the cotton back in his ear. That was it was a thick thick beat of sweat, it, and it was ear pus. It, and it's the same exact look of uh-huh. the like the stuff the coming cum. out of the walls, yeah. and it's just like it's, it makes everything's crippling, everything's falling apart, including his. There's a way in which uh, Barton Fink is like in a hell and John Goodman is the person torturing him. And then there's a way in which Barton Fink is literally in a physical space that you begin to think is made of John of whatever John Goodman's character really uh-huh. is. That, that like he is like organically standing inside uh, the being of John Goodman. Which is it's it's great because you think that you know what your hell would be, right? You you mm-hmm. think that you would know it's oh it's all by annoyances, but you don't know what your annoyances are. Yeah. What your annoyances are is a character like John Goodman coming into your life and just being around you. What's, That's yes. what your hell is. What's so good about it is it's. Did you notice how often Barton Fink is literally just about to press a key? And that's when John Goodman comes over and knocks yeah. on the door. So when he finally gets himself to the point where he's actually going he's to write. He's on a roll. He's just about to do it. And John Goodman comes and knocks on the door. Ugh. Mike. I gave that one to Mike. Now let's get into our recommendations before we head off into finding out who won and talking our last comments about this movie. Mike, what do you recommend if you enjoyed Barton Fink and you wanted to pursue some more of that vibe? <laughs> I, I think if you're into Barton Fink, you, you want to be tense and you want to talk about how writers are actually monsters, I'd say the little 2012 film Ruby Sparks, oh. uh, starring Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano. Paul Dano is a writer and he starts writing this character and she comes into his life. Now, you and, guys both went to my wedding where I typed up a fictional character and you guys watched that wedding. Was that yes. weird? It was a little weird. A little weird. But thankfully, you didn't control her when she made you mad, which Paul Dano eventually, spoiler, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> it really does, like, what, what a what a monster and, like, the control freak kind of writer can become is that it better be my way or not. Uh, 
Yeah, it's an enjoyable little tweet kind of movie. Which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it in in movies. Like the writer, like it has to be the way the writer put it. I bet that's not true at all in Hollywood. Yeah, I had this. Uh, I was stoked about that movie because I uh, did Enchanted Theory, where it was like, oh, you just became the thing that you were trying to mm-hmm. push against. But I should probably give it another viewing. That's Shouldn't what, we all? It sounds like that's what Mike is recommending. Yeah, Mike, good recommendation. Mike. Ryan, what do you recommend? I've got to. I'm going to do adaptation because how dare we talk about a movie about writing without right. talking about adaptation? <laughs> okay. You, the, the, you said you were going to do two, and I, I, I'm giving Mike a point for that. Then uh, I will then do the Day of the Locust, which is uh, a movie about. Let's right. imagine a, a movie where you think that Hollywood is this super glossy thing, but actually underneath, it's not just gross. It's grosser than you could ever yeah. fucking possibly imagine. It's disgusting. It is the worst. And there's a lot of data locust, I think, in this movie. Like, the obvious stuff is The Shining, right? In this movie. And then mm. some early Roman Polanski. But I think that data locust is there, too, because once... We take away the uh, shine. We can do whatever the fuck we want, and it's going to get disgusting. And I, I like this movie just goes off at the end. And that's so true. That's like literally true of Hollywood. Like if you are not in a nice place and you are off the beaten path, even a little bit in Hollywood, it's like the grossest, worst, most disturbing and, place you've ever been. There's a wax museum, uh, <laughs> and all you, the, the whole point of Hollywood is to get to the beaten path, right. so that you can make fun of the people who are off the beaten path but, and just destroy them. When you're on the beaten path, then all that gross, disturbing stuff is just behind the next door. Mm-hmm. When and this is Day of the Locust of the, the infamous 1975 movie. Yes, it is. Bonus episode, that, yes. That we just wrapped. The season that it will always be. Again, I, the- I would say the movie that Greg and I dislike the most that recommend the most, right? Yeah. Like, Is this the movie that you would recommend the most that you dislike the most? Yeah, like Barton Fink would also fit in that category for yeah. sure. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's the kind of movie... That the whole time you're watching it, you wish that you could like not look at what's going on. It's just so... Uh, yeah. No. When we come back, we're going to see who won this show and then talk about how far we think Barton Fink can go. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter everything mike everything ryan everything greg everything cassie everything is there at yourpopfilter.com while you're there go to yourpopfilter.com slash amazon make that your new amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there that way we get a little piece of the action and amazon doesn't make sure you're also listening to everything that pop filter has to offer which includes the superhero show show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That superhero show show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! People are talking about Barton Fink. I'm almost sure we're going to be chanting that in just a second. But before we do, I want to say you both did so well. This was an extremely high-scoring affair, and I became a little self-conscious about how much, uh, how many points I was giving you, and I actually backed off near the end. But uh, only when I said good things. But the see, wi- I feel the opposite. It's fun when both Ren and I are certain the other person destroyed. 
Uh, Mike, you got 35 points, which is a tremendous amount of points to get in a loss. Ryan, you got 40, which is like... <laughs> Which is up there with some of the best scores. That's a really ever. good score, Mike. That Would you admit? Score. Mike, I, admit, I admit it. Mike, admit That's, it. Mike, I bet you scored what I assumed you were scoring the whole time, brother. I would say seventy-five points is as well as any two people have ever done. Which, Mike, doesn't that always feel good to be told that I you? I'm part of the combo. Yeah, Woo, I did it! <laughs> Yay! Uh, but how about? I think that, like, th- look, the one thing that going into the ninety-one season that we know is that terminator 2 is coming and it's here and it's basically in our house and it like every time we pee that he just comes up behind us and he scares us i constantly i think purposefully forget that's in this season so i can pretend like any other movie has a chance you know what's weird is that i always think terminator and louise and both of them are coming (laughs) i i together you know, I'm obviously the Terminator 2 guy, but I just mad. I'm imagining. I think a, me and Mike are the Terminator 2 guys. I'm imagining. I think. Every, I guess everybody's a Terminator 2 guy, but I'm just imagining really having to be like, I vote for Terminator 2 over Barton Fink. That and I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that happens. To be honest, so like, I, I think this movie is a straight masterpiece. I do. You remember when? Uh, Barton Fink is, says to the elevator, old elevator guy, "Do you ever read the Bible?" And then the elevator guy says. <laughs> The Holy Bible? Yeah. The Holy Bible? Does that yeah, happen? And, he, and his response is, I think I heard of it. <laughs> that doesn't happen in Terminator 2, dude. This movie is going to win. Yeah. Mike, do you agree that this is probably on the fast track to, to win it? Yeah. Bible? Yeah. That, uh, for that moment alone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it has everything in place that it needs. It does. And again, Drake, I think you said this in the beginning of the episode, but the first Coen Brothers movie that we've yeah. ever done for the show, Wild. that's insane. And honestly, I felt like it was a weird one to do, and maybe it is, but I'm glad this was the first one. Yeah. This is a cool movie, and it's different than everything they make. But and it's it doesn't, so fucking weird. But it's so weird and awful and gross. This is among the grossest movies we've ever watched. Oh, man. Do you remember how thick the drip I do, from Ryan, John Goodman's I do. Drip is? I was do so remember thick. how thick. So... The one thing I like about this show, or one of the things I guess I like a lot about it, is uh, it is very unpredictable, though. So I do think just because we th- we all think Fink right now doesn't mean <laughs> that Fink is going to be what wins in the end. Okay, so we're all Think Fink right now, but yeah. I will say that this is almost borderline come and see space for me. Yeah. Like, I think that it might have the, oh, I'm the weird one. Uh-huh. That could go far in the bracket, but maybe not take it down. No, but see, it's a, it's matchups. That's the thing. It's just one movie going against another one. So think of some of the movies we're going to be talking about and having me say, what is going to move on? Barton Fink or Terminator Barton 2? Fink. Barton Fink or Silence of the Lambs? Greg, did you... Adam's t- Family. Barton Fink or <laughs> Adam's Family. <laughs> Greg, did you tell people about the con awards of this year? About what now? The you con. tell the people. Con! You tell the people. Okay, James Con invented it in awards, right? And it won Best Actor, Picture, and the Palme d'Or. Excuse me. Which is like Best Picture Plus. And then after that, they had to change the awards and say no other movie will win more than two awards. You can't do it. It's mean. Everybody also is going to get the a best participation movie in the history of Con. I buy it, dude. For, this is a movie for movie folks. I mean, the ones yeah. who, who love and hate it, you know, and I think the hate is basically what's covered in this movie, but I think it is for the people who like have lived in that world and like, really enjoy it. I feel like Greg's, for the mature movie folks, yeah. I feel like Greg sees it and Mike hates it. I feel like as far as like movies for movie folks go, Greg sees it. He's like, cool. And Mike's like, mm, 
Not for me. When I see movies for movie folks? Yeah. You know, like, so, like, the artist. Do you remember the artist? I fucking hate the artist. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm saying. Death Just, of the artist, I say. <laughs> movies oh, this for doesn't movie count, folks. obviously, Mike. but. It feels good in the heart. Well, this is a podcast for movie folks. And we are done talking about Barton Fink for now. It's hard to believe this is a long ass episode and it feels like we still left some stuff untalked about, but that'll be good for the (laughs) finale. Until then, hey everyone, keep watching them movies.